Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we're going to finally be getting to talking about cultural criticism, which we had have been telling you for a while we were going to get to, but I had other or other uh, podcasts I wanted to do before I got to that. Um, cultural criticism, like the other types of criticism we've looked at uh, already, uh, uses particular lenses to look at the literature. Uh, in the case of cultural criticism, it looks at it through the lens of culture. Um, cultural critic would be sort of somewhat using elements of sociology and anthropology when they're looking at uh, a work of literature. They're trying to construct, you know, what uh, things they can tell about the culture. But not only that, what they're trying to look at is how the author or the narrator, um, in the case of if the narrator takes a different stand than the author, um, how the author or narrator is feeling about these things. So you might have somebody giving elements of their culture with the feeling that, hooray for us, this is a wonderful thing. You may have somebody talking about elements of their culture and sort of pointing out the fact that this is a pretty broken system. So the cultural critics will look at it and try to determine what are the elements of culture? What are the uh, things being discussed about the culture? What are the things being re being revealed about the culture? And what is it exactly uh, the stance that the author or narrator is taking? Um, cultural critics often will do interpretations of things that very few people would consider literature. Cultural critics will sometimes do interpretations of advertisements, either print advertisements, uh, billboards, advertisements in magazines, uh, TV commercials, radio commercials, internet commercials. <clears throat> they might do analysis of film or TV shows. Um, they could even do analysis of particular uh, packaging for products. One of the cultural criticism papers that I wrote in college, uh, I actually did over the uh, juice vending machine at the college in the basement of the library. And you would ask, you know, how would I do that? And I'll get back to that uh, a little later on, but I want to get into some of the different angles of approach before I go into that. <clears throat> uh, one of the things that a cultural critic might look at is what kinds of uh, norms are being suggested by the literature. You know, what does it seem like the characters uh, expect to be the norm? What things are viewed as deviants? You know, what things do they see that happen that may be repulsive to the uh, people in the work? Uh, another element that they might look at is sex. Uh, sex as far as, you know, how is it handled? Is it something that is uh, overt? Is it something that is shied away from? Uh, and how does that play out in relation to society? Now, if you look at a lot of uh, works in uh, American film, American television, American advertising, uh, sex is pretty much everywhere. But when you go into it and actually look at the culture, uh, there are also a lot of taboos against sex. So one of the things that the cultural critic might look at are what are the boundaries, uh, what are the taboos that a particular work is showing about a culture. Uh, 
analyze it. And again, is it saying these are great things, we're upholding this, or is it saying, look at these taboos we have and aren't they a little bit silly or even harmful? Uh, another thing that a cultural critic might look at is religion. What role does religion play? Is it a society um, that is, that's being depicted in the work that is very religious? And if so, which religion? Is it a society that has a pretty uniform view of religion, as you would see in a lot of uh, earlier works, earlier European works, um, particularly before the Protestant Reformation, where all of the works were Catholic and that was it. You wouldn't find things that had contradiction to that in European literature, uh, as, unless they were being portrayed as um, an outsider's religion. But the mainstream religion was strongly portrayed as being Roman Catholic. <clears throat> are there more than one religion? Is there more than one religion being shown? Uh, are they in conflict? Does one religion uh, have a dominant position? Um, and what is the relationship between them? Uh, another issue that starts to come up in cultural criticism, and we'll talk about a lot more when we get to post-colonial criticism, is race. Uh, is race an issue? Are all the characters the same race? Are they different races? Is there a power differential in the races? You know, what is the cultural uh, connection to race? How big of a factor does it play? When you have societies that are pretty much isolated in only one race, you're going to find that's going to be a much smaller part of it. When you have societies that are more cosmopolitan, where you have different races interacting, you're going to see it be a much larger part of what's going on in the story. <clears throat> Another area that they might look at, which is an overlap with Marxist criticism, is social class. How dominant is the idea of social class? Is it a heavily uh, class-driven society, or is it a society where social class... Uh, really is something in the background. And again, what is the author uh, saying about that? Are they saying these class rigid class restrictions are here and they're wonderful things? Or are they saying these rigid class restrictions are here and they're destructive? <clears throat> Another area they might look into is uh, feminine, uh, gender, and where they overlap with the feminist criticism. You know, how much of a role does gender play within the culture? All of these different elements they would look at, um, depending on which ones were relevant, and you would actually have a multi-level approach to a work, uh, whereas the other ones would stick to gender for a feminist perspective or social class or economic system for a Marxist perspective. Uh, the cultural critic is going to probably be talking about more than one of these elements. <clears throat> now to get back to what I uh, started to talk about with the paper that I wrote. I wrote a paper doing a cultural criticism uh, based on the uh, juice machine in the basement of the library where I was a student in grad school. And there were no people on this machine. It was all entirely made up of pictures of fruit and uh, water and things like that. So there was no human imagery. But when you looked at the human imagery, you started to notice that the fruit was very much uh, in suggestive shapes. Uh, the shapes of uh, the phallus, the shapes of uh, female breasts, um, 
the shapes were very suggestive. And a lot of people might think, well, this is, you know, really reaching, it's just fruit. Um, but one of the things that when you study literature for a long time that you start to realize is that writers, painters, um, artists do not view fruit as just a neutral thing. And culture does not view it as a neutral thing. Um, fruit and flowers have always been fertility symbols. Um, and if you think about it, it makes sense. Because what are fruit and flowers? They are basically the plant's sexual reproductive organs. Um, with a society that has very uh, rigid views about sexuality uh, and very limiting, uh, not allowing you to express that, you're going to find a lot more works that uh, dwell on fruits and flowers. This is a way of kind of putting across sexuality in a way that is acceptable. <clears throat> so going back to the machine, I wrote the paper talking about the imagery, talking about the significance of fruit, um, and talking about how that uh, brings up sexual imagery. And this is one of the things about American culture in particular, is that we use sex to sell everything, even if that product has absolutely nothing to do with sex. We're still bringing up that imagery. You know, this is something trying to get you to buy a fruit juice, and it is using sexual imagery in order to get you to buy that juice. Um, so the society, the culture is very saturated with sexual imagery. But it is a taboo to actually show those things in public. Um, you can't go down the street and see a billboard uh, with two people having sex on it. Uh, that would be considered over the line. So you kind of get this conflict between uh, this real push for sexual imagery and at the same time a very strong taboo against showing it directly. Uh, and every society has its taboo lines. It's things that it feels are appropriate or inappropriate. One of the uh, things that you'll start to notice is when you start to think about even your own culture's uh, views on sex, they seem to be somewhat arbitrary sometimes. Uh, for example, uh, in American society, um, it is legal to show all of the female breast as long as the nipples are covered. Um, it is perfectly legal to show the male breast completely uncovered. Uh, the only difference between the female breast and the male breast isn't the nipples. Both male and female have those. But yet, for some reason, our culture has said, you may view male breasts in society in public, you may not view female nipples uh, in public. So these things start to make you realize that sometimes the rules are not as consistent as you think. Uh, one of the things as a cultural critic that is difficult to do at first is you have to break out of your own narrow conception. Everyone is raised thinking their culture is the right one. You, you grow up thinking the things you learned in your culture are common sense. You know, this is what everybody should know, this is what everybody should do, this is just common sense. When in reality, most of the things that people think of as common sense are really just particular to the culture you grew up in. Um, 
once you realize that a lot of these things are only particular to your culture, uh, you start to be able to a little more step back and not be judgmental and say, well, look at why they're, look at these crazy things they're doing. They're doing it all wrong in that culture. Um, because they're looking at your culture the exact same way. They're looking at it and saying, why are you doing these crazy things that don't make sense? So part of what a cultural critic has to do is sort of step back from your own culture and try to look at it a little more objectively and realize that everything you come in contact with, you may not agree with, but that doesn't mean that it's not right. Uh, it, it means that from your cultural perspective, you were told that was a bad thing. Uh, from their cultural perspective, they were not told that was a bad thing. In fact, that might be considered something that's good. Um, so you have to kind of step out of yourself. <clears throat> now, what is the benefit of doing this? Well, there are a lot of benefits. One, we live in a world with lots of different kinds of people, lots of different cultures, lots of different backgrounds. If you go through the world thinking my culture is the only one that's right and everybody else is wrong or evil or foolish, you're going to have a hard time dealing with other people in the world because there's just going to be a lot of people that don't do things the way you do. Also, you're going to have a hard time working with them. These people will be co-workers, people you work with, on, you know, you meet in the street, people you uh, deal with in business transactions. And if you don't understand that they have reasons for doing the way things the way they do, and they have valid reasons, the same way you have valid reasons to believe the things you do because this is their culture, it becomes difficult to work with other people. It becomes difficult to build bridges when you start to realize that a lot of our reality is culturally constructed, <clears throat> it becomes much easier to not only work with people, but to start developing more empathy and more of an understanding for people and less of a sense of uh, superiority. Because every culture generally teaches uh, that, you know, we are the clean people and those people are other. You know, they're not quite as good as we are. They're not quite as advanced as we are, whatever the, you know, whatever the perception is. And with every culture teaching this uh, from, you know, the first years of people's lives, they're exposed to these things. Uh, it becomes easy to become set in those ways. So one of the things that cultural criticism is good at doing is allowing you to break down bridges uh, from with people who have a different background from yourself. It also gives you the ability to take a second look at your own culture and start looking at some of the things you were taught and weighing them out more objectively and saying, and, and, and at that point you come to the point point where you can say, okay, yes, I've weighed this objectively and this element of my culture does make sense. I'm going to go along with that. Or this, this element of my culture really has no basis and it actually seems to be harmful. I'm going to walk away from that. And why you need to be able to do that is because if you are going to embrace values as a functioning adult, they should be your values. You should have weighed them and made sure that you are just not carrying someone else's baggage along, you know, carrying the baggage that your culture gave you as if it's your own, when if you stop to examine it, you would realize, I don't believe this. 
Um, or if you do come to the term that you believe it, then you at least own that belief. It becomes your belief at that point. You're not carrying someone else's baggage. <clears throat> For the next episode, I'm going to do part two on the Power Series. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, power and magic, but also power and the hoarding of knowledge, the hoarding of information, because this is one of the things that uh, you will see in any analysis of power, that there's always a hoarding of essential information. And when people are denied that information, um, they're under the power of the people who do have that information. Um, but we'll pick that up next time. Um, I'm going to cut off for now. I hope all of you are doing well, and I hope to uh, speak to you all again really soon. Have a good day.